Hello, you're listening to Born to Pay EMI, your average podcast on being average. If your job just makes you cry, if your boss is a filthy sly, if all you do is simply try, here's our reminder that we're born to pay EMI, 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 EMI. how to be the most average employee ever now, this is the best part it feels quite good to get relieved of some unnecessary burden right if you've been seriously thinking about the perspective i shared in my previous chapters you would know that it's not worth pursuing greater things in today's life and times they're just for somebody else not us if you ask me how do i know that you're not that somebody you're here because of the word EMI that attracted you you belong here and that's my point so far over decades and years we've been forced to believe that mediocre sucks average people are weak stagnation is dead end our careers are bound to crumble right in front of our eyes and more but it would have taken a few weeks thought and efforts to understand the beauty of being mediocre We never questioned ourselves. We never argued saying, "What if all I wanted was mediocrity? So what if I work hard for 5 days and enjoy my weekends doing things I love without complaining?" Why does everyone need to seek greater things or achieve something in life anyways? If we only did that, the world would seriously be a better place now. We would see less agitated people on the streets, more love, more empowerment in all aspects of life. more ownership of work and tasks more harmony more peace contentment satisfaction and more and most importantly less population but we didn't we simply ignored our true inner calling and went after the one like little red riding hood we gave in ourselves to the foxes out there to dissect and feed on our greed desires void and most importantly fear We opened up to the wrong people, sharing our deepest, darkest spaces with them, for them to easily manipulate us. You never talk about your fears, but through your digital footprints, likes, follows, and comments, we let potential people know about this. And since then, it's been only exploitation. But it's okay; it's not too late. We can still go back to a peaceful life we crave for. We can still relive the nostalgic life that was as beautiful. as a summer of the 90s we can still get back to being the average people we are acknowledging our reality and living harmoniously with it this chapter is all about sharing insights on what we could do to be our average best to maximum extent i've tried to make it not preachy but in case you find it preachy just go with it because the first way to go about being average is stop complaining The metro is too crowded man I can't even afford a seat my life has come to that why should our team alone work on this weekend do that's some bloody politics in this i tell you why doesn't someone fix the coffee machine i'm drinking froth for the last 2 days my manager has made my life miserable man wish he got transferred or laid off the headphones i ordered are still not here i'm depressed bro Man, the food is too salty. Give them a bad review and never order from this place again. You see this? 
Now I don't have any statistics to show you, but most of us spend most of our time complaining. And when I looked closely, I found two types of complaints we do on a daily basis: personal complaints and social complaints. Personal complaints. These are the ones associated with our lives: not getting a place to sit on your commute, your cab being late, you forgetting your medicines at home, the Wi-Fi failing to connect, sending an email without attachment, and whatever your personal experiences have to offer. Social complaints. These are the ones that stem from the content we consume. I don't know how many of us see a pattern, but we are fed negativity throughout the day, from the news channels that report only deaths during pandemic to keep us hooked, to instances of hatred or violence happening in remote part of the world. We are constantly exposed to negative feelings. That's why the mind gets confused when something good actually happens. We tend to be hesitant about the positive event that happened, and immediately fear if something bad is about to happen soon. Ever said to your friend that you laugh too much and you hope nothing bad happens? Well, when we spend most of our time complaining, we are agitated from within. As this continues to happen, the brain rewires these thoughts and turns them into a habit. And let me tell you an interesting fact about habits. Habits are formed in a place called basal ganglia. No, it's not a type of risotto. It's a region in the forebrain, which is highly responsible for the formation of new habits. It takes charge of a variety of activities and actions, and when you keep doing a specific activity for a prolonged period of time, it turns them into your habit, and your habit eventually becomes your behavior, and that becomes your personality. Ever been called a chai person? Your habit of drinking tea has become your behavior and ultimately your identity. So when you keep complaining about things around you and in you every single day, you become sort of an annoyance to people around you. You attract only negative things, and you end up becoming the one who has lost the sense of judgment and appreciation. Even when you dine at a Michelin restaurant, you would complain about the pricing or being served a fixed menu. You become blinded by your complaints. And what good thing does complaining actually do? Nothing. Now I know that being average, we are also not leaders or rebels of change. We wouldn't stand up to the authorities and take charge of situations. We would only complain and rant, and then move on to the next thing to complain about. That's all we are. So why not use this limitation to our advantage? When we can't change things around us, why not change the thought process? A good way to do this is by limiting your complaints to just a few a day. If you intend to stop complaining about things, you need to start small and then proceed gradually. So once you've made up your mind, put a number on the things you would complain about on that particular day. Keep about five or ten a day, and every time you feel like yelling or complaining, remember if it's worth losing one of the five chances to complain. If yes, do it. If not, drop the idea. Gradually reduce the number of complaints allotted per day, and observe the changes for yourself. You would notice that your mind is automatically working on accommodating the changes. When you see a crowded bus or a metro, you think of waiting for the next one. Or best, you start soon. And when your cab is late. Your calm mind brings to your attention that the driver might have been stuck in traffic, or taken a tree break because he has been driving for the last ten hours. In every way, this is a good change. When you stop complaining, things automatically fall in place, and your mind begins to forgive people for their actions or stupidity. You have this shield around you that prevents anyone or anything from spoiling your otherwise good day. The same applies when you worry too much as well. Work. Is a transaction. Now I'm not sure why, 
but a lot of people get emotionally or sentimentally attached to their organization, workspace or office. Like I said before, they tend to suddenly shift to a heliocentric model where their office is at the center and everything revolves around it. From picking up kids from school to making a plan for dinner or a drink, the only excuse or reason you would hear from such people is that they have work. They are the ones who come in 5 minutes early to work and leave after most of them are gone. You could literally feel them living off the office supplies and snacks. They are the first to complain about water problems in restrooms because they have stayed most of the night or the fact that the air condition wasn't working. They suddenly show up on weekends and even during their off days, you would see them visiting the office just for fun, dressed in all casuals. I'm sure every team has that one person and I'm sure you're imagining him or her right now. The problem is you can't change them as it has been wired in their brains that work is everything. Even if you're someone who loves work, this is bad in all aspects, from your health to your mind and the way you think. This is bad for you and others around you. A stage before such people is where you badly want to enjoy work-life balance but assume you're forced to work. You believe people are observing you and the management is constantly monitoring you. You feel if you don't work enough, you would be fired. There is this deep fear in your mind that prevents you from having a social life. And when two or more people such exist in a team, the environment becomes toxic. They are the ones who start looking at someone who is on time and leaves on time like they are criminals. They make them feel guilty for being just right. Regardless of what your case is, remind yourself that work is a transaction like anything else in your life. You pick up something from the supermarket and you pay for it. You show some love and you get some love. You give your organization your time, a fixed amount of time in a day, and you get paid for it. Nothing more and nothing less. You work for the sake of money and they pay for the sake of work you do. And anything that happens in between is a bonus that requires no attachment whatsoever. If you want, you can remain detached from people as well. That's your choice because you're in a place that is nothing less than similar to a bank. You wouldn't get attached to an ATM machine just because it gives you money, right? The day you start seeing your work as nothing more than a transaction with your company, a lot of things would become more clear and you would get fresh perspectives on work, career and life. Not a task more, not a task less. One of the other important ways to silently establish yourself as an average employee is by making sure you do only a specific number of tasks you think you are capable of. I'm not asking you to understate the numbers and while away time. I'm just telling you to accept only the numbers that can be done within your deadline, be it a day or a week. Anything more than that is actually bad for your health. Let's agree on that. Oftentimes, managers tend to force work on us just because another employee couldn't finish it on time. We become the reliable alternatives who finish the job of somebody else, apart from ours, in the name of additional responsibilities. Clearly, some managers don't know the art of managing people. And they can't grow a spine to delegate work and get it done by the person who was actually supposed to do. All they eye for is project completion, even if it takes somebody doing more work than what was initially allotted. The entire concept of equality goes for a toss and soon the employee becomes unreliable and goes away doing minimal tasks and you end up compromising on your personal life to finish what was not yours in the first place. You get paid for your worth and not for what you do at the end of the day. And when it's time for recognition, your manager applauds your entire team, including the one that got away, 
Such people have a knack of escaping. They go on holidays, take long weekends, go for movies on Wednesday and are hardly answerable. How? Because they know you are available and that you will do their job. Easy, isn't it? That's why it's important to establish boundaries. It's understandable that it's difficult to say no. But things have to start somewhere. When your boss delegates a new task saying that he couldn't find a better person for this task, politely refrain. Tell them you're already stuck with something and that it's taking longer time than expected. Sit with it until the time of your deadline arrives. Nobody is going to award you for completing a task before the deadline and presenting it to your manager. Good work always translates to additional responsibility, whereas average work always translates to contentment. Your boss need not be happy about the task being completed. They only have to know it's done. You attach an unnecessary layer of emotion to it. So on your scrum sessions, put your foot down and scream of responsibilities you already have. And even if you're forced to take up, just take it up and don't do it. When you don't, your manager would have an instant rush of his instincts and will do what he does best. Give it to another bakra. One idea or suggestion per meeting. Every meeting has an agenda. You should have one too. And that is to just offer one suggestion, idea, feedback or opinion on something in the meeting. Nothing more than that. You see, an average employee is not brilliant, but they are not dumb too. So you can't think of sitting inside like a rock without contributing anything. So all you have to do is simply share one point and become silent for the entire duration of the meeting. When you ask for an opinion from your boss, the case is different and you have to respond. It's not like you stay mum when the boss is firing your entire team for low sales count and then asking you specifically why the leads list was messed up. That's suicide. I'm talking about dodging the bullet like the matrix. This is because when the time for you to actually dodge a bullet comes, you don't have to. Your opinion could be on what can be done to increase campaign effectiveness, a question on whether a deadline can be extended, an improvisation on a colleague's point of view, or just a suggestion on something keeping in mind something that happened in the past. I think we used a similar color scheme on one of our previous campaigns and I remember it getting a lower response. I think we should change it this time. Something like this. And if your boss tricks you into telling that if you have any colors in mind, gently point your fingers at your designer. Agenda is equal to goals. Detachment from appraisals. It happens every year, right? And you know the outcomes unless it's a new company you'll switch to. If you've been working in the same company for a couple of years, you definitely know the drill. About the metrics, the milestones, the review system, the fairness attached to it, and everything. So when you know about the consequences well in advance, why worry about it and stretch yourself too much? If you know you're going to be rewarded with something that's totally unjust and prefixed, you don't have to take the entire year seriously. All your personal compromises are futile if the destiny is already determined. So the best approach is to detach yourself from the entire process of appraisals and just do your job. Just focus on your work and make sure you complete whatever you can without giving space for complaints. Because people don't appreciate what you've done but they will definitely notice the ones you haven't and blow it to extreme proportions. Hell, we all have the same mentality, right? So without giving anyone the space to point fingers at us and complain, let's do a job and leave. Appraisals will happen the way they happen. You know Murphy's Law. On time, every time. For some weird reasons, punctuality is mostly seen as a linear concept, a one-way street. People expect you to be punctual only when you are arriving. 
they don't consider the punctuality associated with leaving now i'm not sure if that's the case only in our country or it's a universal phenomenon but the fact is you can change this for good for meetings bosses team leads and your colleagues would expect you to be on time meetings should start at 10 am but nobody talks about the instances when meetings get extended everyone has a schedule plan for the day and quite easily they are taken for granted but that's not going to happen from now an average employee arrives on time and leaves on time every single time if your work timing is supposed to get over at 6 pm you need to get ready by 5:45 at least you should have packed your bags and called in your cab you leave at 6 no matter what but you finish all your work by then you don't leave today's tasks for tomorrow you complete them and leave without worry or regrets you diligently follow the timings associated with your work as much as possible lunch breaks for 45 minutes and short tea breaks you become strict on your work and its timings and let other people know about them as well you will be mocked and laughed in the first few days but the joke will be on them eventually your break group talking about tea breaks we have to discuss something very important your tea breaks could be espionage activities carried out by your bosses bootlickers and people who would want to bring you down because they clearly envy your lifestyle and approach to work they can't become like you so they would bring you to their levels so choose wisely your break group and if you have to go alone just go alone there's nothing wrong or embarrassing about being aloof you have netflix or youtube on your pocket and there are better companies than toxic people sucking the blood out of you when you're with the bad group you're again exposed to negative things you want to give in to such feelings and emotions once again and when you involuntarily open your mouth the roller coaster ride starts again and they want exactly that but when such situations come you stay quiet and you keep your conversations to generic things like the weather tv series games smartphones songs cinema sports and whatever that interests you they will also tie back topics to office happenings but be careful when your favorite player got out because of bad umpiring and judgment they would immediately throw bait connecting that with your boss hoping to see what you would reply just say perspectives and close it now they are the ones who told and not you and never ever go for breaks with your team leader they would only make your day worse by talking about work their meetings and things you would be better off without knowing and this is a beautiful seg to our next crucial aspect office bloody politics and gossips an average life need not be a boring life so i say be part of the office gossip if you follow whatever we discussed so far let me tell you that you would have already become a reliable colleague everyone would have the perception that you don't mingle well with others and that you don't hang out with them stay back or show any interest in their life so you will automatically become their wall a shoulder to lean on they would open up to you about the problems they face at work and how unjust things have been around them you would be spoken to about people's crushes and even salary packages of a few colleagues because they trust you listen to everything if gossip comes to you don't refrain just consume it but the catch here is you don't have to shit it out being part of gossip is good but never be a contributing factor to it never share your thoughts or opinions on office things no matter how many times you're asked for politely evade such questions and try getting back listening to them tell them that it's everywhere or it's inevitable and they would take it forward from there you can know the mentality of people around you and behave accordingly you would know who to be aware of and you would get to listen to two versions of the same incident you have a neutral holistic view of the garbage around you the entire point is to make a path avoiding the stink 
and that's why it's important for you to open a dumping ground on your backyard. Be nameless. Most of us yearn to develop superpowers when we were young. After reading countless comics and watching movies, we all wished for a superpower of our own. But when the time to develop one actually came, most of us missed the train. Yes, we all had the chance to develop a superpower, like the ones you see in Harry Potter films. The Invisibility Cloak An average employee is invisible if you notice only two types of names are often called out by managers and leads. Names of those who do a great job at their work, names of those who do a terrible job at their work. An average employee is nameless and invisible. If a new project comes, an overachiever employee is called for suggestions, ideas, brainstorming meetings and more. They get to spend more time on projects and less time on their life. On the other hand, a bad employee is often called in to be yelled at. The bad employee often pulls a couple of other employees down with them. But you, my friend, are special. The manager hardly recollects your presence. You're just a name in your office and that's a great thing. You're replaceable for sure, but you're not the ones people would pick first in their teams. And therein lies your success. The art of staying average is so underrated and once you get the taste of it, it's magical. Imagine your boss having a neutral opinion on you. Mr. Mahesh, what do I say? He's still a mystery. I'm sure he hasn't messed up any of our projects, but he also hasn't shown any signs of proactiveness in taking up responsibilities. I'm not sure about him and I don't want to take risks. So I'll go ahead with you. Be present but don't stand out. Stay active and not proactive. Be the Wednesday of the week, not the Monday and definitely not the Friday. Become the plant you have on your desk. You don't know why it's there, but that doesn't bother you in any way. You don't have to water it or nurture it as well. And you see it every single day. It is just there. Just take your own time to reflect on this and let it gradually sink in. Value for money. It's a basic trait for humans to immediately assess the worth of anything we use. We look for value for money, we pay to use a commodity. And when it comes to people and relationships, who are often seen as commodities too, we assess the worth by the time we spend on and the reciprocation we get. Regardless of what it is, we inherently want what we experience to be worth and justify our investment in it. The smart television you bought a couple of years back, your smartphone, your car, your house and its prime locality, the restaurants you just dine in and more. The assessment of money's worth is everywhere. Ironically, we tend to completely overlook this factor when it comes to us. By us, I mean our paycheck and the amount of work we do for our organization. There's a huge disparity in this most of the time. A lot of people work more than what they get paid for. Too many people stretch it out without considering the value their effort has and what it fetches them ultimately. When your salary is fixed, it's based on a lot of factors. Like I said, you're a perishable product and the company sees you as an investment. But we again add a layer of attachment or fear. We don't want to get pink slips and we dread getting laid off. If a company is to sink, it will no matter what. Your extra hour of work every day contributes to nothing. It's like finding a drop of your tear in an ocean. It's pointless. We don't evaluate ourselves right in the first place. Nobody knows what their true worth is. They often undercoat or overcoat their worth. That's why you see experienced people settling for lower pays and undeserving people getting higher paychecks. Though this is a generic claim, I believe it still holds true. 
when you divide your salary by the number of hours you put in you would know your real value and then you will figure out if you're actually getting paid right or if you're putting in too much effort for very little pay and in both cases it's usually unjust so the ideal solution is to assess your worth and only work for what it is don't work for the value of a team lead and get paid the salary of a fresher work only what is your money's equivalent not a penny more not a penny less this will solve most of your problems as you would identify if it's worth sticking to a company or leave or get an idea of how much you should work and enjoy work life balance accordingly now these suggestions have worked wonders for me they are tried and tested so you don't have to suspect these are just gimmicks or if these are possible i also understand that bringing in changes in your thought process and attitude won't happen overnight aspects like saying no are hard and can take a longer time than needed while some of them are instantly implementable some need practice and sheer determination that's why the next and final chapter delves into some ideologies and practices that would help you make way for a change of attitude and approach to work in life see you there